0: Friedman of Adult Site Broker. And welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with Mike Stabil of the Free Speech Coalition in part two of our conversation. At Adult Site Broker, we're proud to announce our latest project, thewaronporn.com. You'll find articles from industry websites as well as mainstream publications from around the world. It's designed to raise awareness of our industry's plight in the war on porn and the numerous attacks on our industry and online free speech by hate groups, the religious right, and politicians. You'll find all that and more at thewaronporn.com. You've probably noticed our new podcast site at adultsitebroker.com. It has a more modern look with easier navigation and more information on our guests, including their social media links. For more, go to AdultSiteBrokertalk.com. And we've doubled our affiliate payouts on ASB Cash. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. Check out ASBCash.com for more details. And to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale an innovative marketing agency that specializes in managing the top 0.01% OnlyFans profiles in the world. It's just under a year old, but is growing very rapidly. They fully manage creators' workflow from promotion to monetization. They've developed an internal CRM that empowers the sales management, marketing, automation, and analytics. This is one of the most relevant advantages of the agency that allows it to drive in-target traffic to profiles and monetize them. The company is already doing over 2 million euros in annual revenue from just over 20 creators. They have a database of over 1 million contacts and 600,000 unique user accounts. This is an outstanding opportunity for anyone to enter the world of OnlyFans management and immediately become one of the top agencies in the world, along with its software, processes, and know-how, which will allow you to bring models up to three times their initial gross monthly revenue. Or, established agencies can acquire the company and expand their business only 2.59 million euros. Now time for part two of my interview with Mike Stabile of the Free Speech Coalition. And I think, anyway, that they're actually doing the opposite by going after us because I think they're making us stronger and they're making us pull more together. I think that if you look at... You know we had the Texas
1: decision earlier this last month, you know which was a preliminary injunction blocking Texas from enforcing their law. I think that what I saw after that after that victory was that. People re- did really rally around us, right? They're like, "Oh, actually, this can be done." I think that one of the things that I see on the boards, and you know, in, in the adult forums, and one of the things that I encounter a lot online, and and even in talking to individual creators and sex workers, is that they think that nobody's going to listen to us. I mean, this is one of the things that, oh, it's pointless. You know, we need to do this thing or we need to do that thing. They're never going to take us seriously. And I think that what FSC has been trying to show and, and hopefully starting to prove to people is that no, actually, they will. Yeah. You have a valid voice, right? That you are a legal business, right? You are somebody who is not immoral and is not a criminal, that you are someone who can stand up for yourself. I think that bullies pick on people who are weak. Bullies pick on people who are, don't stand up for themselves. And I think that that's what a lot of these groups thought. They were like, oh, you know what? These people, they're in the shadows. They're not going to want their names public. They're not going to want the attention. And if they, they were looking for people who didn't want attention, they were actually working at the wrong industry.
0: Yeah. And they don't know Alison Bowden either. Because when she got there, everything changed. Yeah, I think that
1: that Allison has been tremendous for the organization. I think that Allison was also our first ED that came from within the industry. That was somebody who wasn't an outside hire who was running a nonprofit or had had some experience in management, but was somebody who really, she had been CEO at kink.com. One of her first jobs out of college was selling sex toys, right? So she's been across the industry. I met Allison probably 15 years ago. She was the student of my aunt at the University of Pittsburgh. My aunt teaches women and gender studies and media studies. And Allison was her student. And I had started working in the industry and I went to my aunt's house for Thanksgiving and we hit it off and had a great time. And then years later, when we were both at Kink, she sort of said, remember who I am? <laughs> so, you know, I think she's got a real passion around this. I think that Alice and I get along really well in this and that this is really integral to our core. I've come from a background of LGBTQ activism and journalism. She's from both a business standpoint and then from a, you know, feminist reproductive rights, you know, sexual rights lens. And so these aren't incidental issues for us. I've been with FSC now for, I want to say four executive directors, you know, and there was one at one point where one of these, the sort of proto age verification legislations was being passed or something like that. And, They just sort of dismissed it in this sort of way that was like, oh, well, so what? And to me, it really spoke to the fact that this wasn't a passion project for them, or this wasn't something that they were going to stay nights and weekends up.
0: No, and I was just going to say that Allison's lived this, especially Kink, my goodness. She is passionate about it. She takes this personally like we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way, and I don't mind too much that you beat me out for the award at x Not too much anyway, Allison, if you're listening, and I know you are. Um, really not too much. It was the first award I was ever nominated for. I don't, I'm not too sad or too mad or anything else. Uh, by the way, have you reached out at all or anybody at FSC reached out to Reddit or Twitter? Have you reached out to any of them and, and said, hey, would you like to contribute to the fight because you're next? You know, I think that we have back channeled. So I
1: think that in terms of Allison is a member, for example, of the, the trust and safety of professionals association, which is, you know, all the moderators, right? All the people who are handling this for all the adult site. They're all dealing with content moderation issues. They all are dealing with much of the same stuff that we are, right? They have to fight CSAM. They have to, to do all of this. They have to fight Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have to be, we have to be having these conversations. I think that what we've found generally is that the tech industry, oddly, you know, is maybe less unified than we are. They have had a couple of internet associations that have been theoretically sort of a trade group, but they are fiercely competitive. You know, I think that there's still stigma about working with adults. So a lot of the stuff that those types of conversations happen in the background rather than formal meetings in a boardroom, they are looking at this and thinking like, I don't necessarily want to be in that fight because they're going to turn at me. Right. If you look at Reddit, you know, I've had multiple conversations with people, you know, knowledgeable about these types of matters, let's say. Twitter and Reddit, may well have over 33 and a third percent adult content on their sites. So that's I say that 33 and a third percent because that is the standard used for liability in these laws, right? If you don't have that amount of content, you are not liable. So if you have 33 and a third percent hardcore gangbangs, but 76 percent. is puppies and roses, then you're not liable, right? so long as you fall under that standard. And I think that they're sort of saying like, hey, you know, let's not make too much noise because we don't want them to focus on us. They want to look at our numbers. And so I think that, that that is an uphill battle. But yes, those conversations are being had at some level. And again, sometimes we're working with people who are in some department at a search engine that are working for a solution. But I think that we're building those relationships. And at some point, yes, will we have a big meeting with a CEO? Perhaps. But I think that right now, starting with the trust and safety people, helping them understand what we're doing is what's happening. And I think that what happens, at least from what I have heard at these conferences, because Allison has, again, been sort of the, the front line of this, is that they know what we're doing, right? Not just FSC, but the industry, and they're tremendously impressed, right? They know the, the, the type of moderation that Pornhub is doing, for instance, you know, and it's often several magnitudes better than what they're doing. We know the landscape. You know, if you're Facebook, well, you're just getting rid of all adult content, right? You don't have to determine whether somebody is 17 and a half or 18 and a half, right? You don't have to figure that out.
0: Yeah, but they throw away a lot of things along with it, including companies like mine. That's what I'm saying. And we are, you know,
1: so they they use a a sledgehammer. We use a scalpel. We have much more complicated complications around consent. We know the issues. And I think that we are actually sort of a model for what they want to do.
0: Well, look, if Elon wants to contribute a billion dollars to FSC, we won't tell anybody, right? <laughs> So those early doubters aside, we're seeing some real payoff from FSC's legal strategy. So what's happening and where do we go from here?
1: Like I said, we got a preliminary injunction at the end of August, blocking the Texas law from going into effect. We are sort of rapid fire approaching a, um, a hearing on a Louisiana preliminary injunction which, you know, we, we hope will be granted. You know, you, you never know with what judge and you may have to appeal. Certainly Texas appealed the decision on the preliminary injunction. But with the preliminary injunction, it means that we can fight the law on its merits, right? Now we can go to court and really sort of say, okay, here's why this law is unconstitutional. Here's why this law is wrong. There was a funny piece of the Texas legislation where the Texas ruling basically said to Texas, did you even try doing a public awareness campaign about filters? They seem more effective. (laughs) You know, did you try anything else before you came up with this grand censorship plan? So I'm I'm looking forward to sort of those battles. You know, in Utah, it was a little bit more difficult because their enforcement option doesn't come directly from the state. There's not an attorney general directly enforcing it, they argue. You know, it comes from a parent or somebody sort of seeing that a site doesn't have this protection or, or their kid access. And in Utah, it's somebody accesses adult site and then a guardian or someone ostensibly would be able to sue the site for damages. We haven't seen those lawsuits in Utah. So we brought our suit in Utah. It was designed in a way to avoid a pre-enforcement challenge, meaning you can challenge that law when somebody actually brings a suit what we were saying was this law has a chilling effect. It's having a censorship effect even before people bring suits. We are going to do a pre-enforcement challenge. We've now appealed that to the appeals court. And so that we will be be battling out. I mean, they're going to be long battles, right? These laws were drafted in a way to make it very difficult for us to bring challenges. But it's important that we bring these challenges. One of the, the things that we saw with the aftermath of this legislation, as these laws were being passed, was people saying, we're going to bring 20 more of them next year, right? We're gonna have 20 states that are going to have these on their books. And, you know, it's one thing to block Utah, it's another thing to have to block half the US. Yeah. So I think that that's, again, where sort of unity is, it, right? If, if this if your strategy was, well, I'm gonna block Louisiana, I'm gonna block Utah, they're small states, what's it matter? I think that the the calculus is a lot different when you're looking at well I'm going to have to block Texas and Florida and Georgia and 18 other states and I think that you spoke to this earlier to saying like it made us more unified right we start seeing this as our battle there were a lot of people after the Texas decision who said, you know, I'm upping my membership. I want you guys in this fight. I was about to have to turn off Texas. Texas is a huge state that's a significant amount of revenue. Like, the fact that I can gain that revenue, I want to reinvest some of that into FSC. And this is always my argument with FSC, is that FSC is an investment in your business. This is not a charity. You know, we are not passing the hat,
0: and this isn't UNICEF. Yeah, but you know what? That's kind of how it was looked at before the current administration. I don't think FSC really was showing as much to the the industry what their contribution was bringing them. Okay. You guys have done a great job of it now. Yeah. I was going
1: to say, you see that when there is a fight. So, I've been with FSC and I've worked, you know, I've, I've been in the industry for 20 years. I got involved in early 2003 when there were, you know, in the early 2000s, we were starting to see the, um, the Bush Justice Department go after uh, people for 2257 violations, right? Another regulation that was endlessly complex and it was just a bunch of tripwires to, to create liability. And, you know, around the 2257 cases, when we brought those cases, that was when the industry sort of came together. We saw it again around Prop 60 in California around the mandatory
0: condom. Oh, I agree. And Mike, let me just state unequivocally, you've always done a great job with communications. The thing is that I don't think you had the hammer as a director before to bring it all home. And you also, you're right, didn't have the pressure from these groups that you have now. Yeah.
1: And I think that, I mean, again, it is it, it really takes someone like Allison as well, who is passionate about this, and it does have the vision and does look at this. And, you know, it's because it's not just, yes, we are dealing with the age verification laws, and that's something that we were fighting against. It's something different when you're looking at banking regulation and banking fairness, right? That was something that we went on the offensive about right? That this wasn't a new law that was happening. This was, you know, something that the industry had just looked at as, well, this is the way that the world is, you know, we're going to have to deal with this, you know, move on to a different bank, scramble. And I think that Allison really took the lead on this and said, we can do this. Like, we can actually be, you know, we can make a difference. And it's, it's not something new. It's not something that's a, a crisis in terms of something that is coming at us from the outside that we now have to deal with. This is something that I think that we can pro- be proactive with and really deal with.
0: So, FSC seems to be everywhere in the press these days. How important is media to the battle?
1: Yeah, I think that it's, it's tremendously important because we're fighting, you know, a battle that originated in the media. So if you look at the fight against Pornhub and and the larger battle around censoring adult sites and taking down adult sites, what happens is, is that it gets fought in opinion pages, right? That's sort of where it starts. You start seeing op-eds, you know, I've traced all of this, I've gone back and, and reconstructed sort of like what happened in the lead up to 2020. And that's sort of where it starts, Right. That frames the debate. What you start seeing in legislation and regulation is they start quoting those places or they start citing them. doesn't matter if they're opinion pages. People don't seem to be able to tell the difference between, you know, an opinion column or an op-ed and an actually reported piece.
0: Unless they are media people, they don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's like me just like like shaking my fist at clouds. But, you know, when you look at stuff that, you know, there was a point at which the DOJ sent a letter or no, um. A, a number of uh, senators sent a letter to the DOJ asking for a, a an investigation into OnlyFans. You know, what they were citing were sort of news reports. They were citing opinion pieces. It doesn't matter. And so I think that I look at it, you know, I'm in California, we deal with wildfires. You know, I look at media the way that you look at sort of like undergrowth, right? You need to clear it. You don't want everything to catch fire. You need to do the work ahead of time. And I think that a lot of these are public opinion campaigns, right? And and politicians are sensitive to public opinion. And if public opinion is, if there's no one standing up for our rights, right? Not just in in the courts, not just in the legislature, but in the press, all you're going to hear is the opposite side. And so that's why I I talk to everybody that I can, you know, Allison is, is constantly there as well, making that argument, because I think that even in an article We're, you know, we are in hostile territory. I would give an interview to the Christian Post because I want someone reading that. Not everybody reads everything and just digests it. When you read an article, you look at some things, you say, well, that argument makes sense. That argument doesn't make sense. You can't say that argument makes sense if that argument isn't there. And I think that this is the day-to-day work of the FSC is really constantly being there, constantly laying ground, so that when something happens journalists know what the story is right they know how to frame it they're not just responding to a press release that some religious group put out that they understand to be critical right they understand to be suspicious about things they understand and they know who to call i can't tell you the number of people who have said i just got this press release where someone is pitching me on the story and they're claiming this what can you tell me like i know that you guys are the authorities what can you tell me and that is what we want
0: absolutely So we saw about two dozen age verification bills and introduced at the state level this year and seven ultimately passed. What do you expect to see next year?
1: Well, it it depends on these court decisions. And I think that that's also why these are important. I think that when that Louisiana decision went unchallenged at first, it encouraged a lot of copycat legislation because they thought, ah, nobody's going to defend this, right? Nobody's going to fight this. I think that as we fight these bills and as these, you know, legislatures see that, oh, actually, this isn't some home run, that there's real challenges here, that this is a complex issue. This isn't just, you know, about doing it. And, you know, we're likely to lose this case and it's going to cost the state, you know, a million dollars to defend this this bad piece of legislation.
0: Not that they care.
1: No, that's how they care. I mean, there was this very humorous part of the Louisiana hearings when they were passing the bill where a senator said, you know what? I came to this body to fight government waste, to fight laws that were unconstitutional and that were going to be challenged that we were going to lose. I see this law. This law is unconstitutional. We are going to pass this law. We are going to lose and it's going to cost us half a million dollars. And then he said, That said, I like what you're doing, so I'm going to vote to pass it.
0: So he gave every argument for not voting for it, and then he voted for it. Yes. He said, this is a bad bill. You know what that was? That was, I'm not for porn, vote for me. Yes. He wouldn't have been a Republican, would he? No, he he was actually a Democrat, I mean, a
1: Louisiana Democrat. So I think that a lot of Democrats have voted for this, right? A lot of Democrats have voted for this because they don't want a campaign against them saying, you voted to allow kids to access porn. Even though this is coming often from the religious right, it gets framed as bipartisan because people don't want to vote against it. And that's, that was the case with FOSTA-SESTA. That's the case with a lot of moral panic legislation.
0: FOSTA-SESTA, so you're for sex trafficking. Yeah. Here's to you, Kamala Harris. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk a bit about your work in Congress. Now, I spoke to Allison after FSC's initial D.C. trip, and she was really enthusiastic about the response. You went back in May to talk about financial discrimination, which you've since written a paper on. How close are we to getting some actual reforms? You know, I think that we're closer than we think
1: is my, my <laughs> how I'll hedge that. Everyone that we've talked to, we've now talked to probably, we've talked to more than two dozen offices. We've talked to different regulatory bodies. We're looking at now going up the the chain and and talking with Treasury and and perhaps the White House, right? We want to engage everybody on this. Everybody that we've talked to has said, this is wrong. We are opposed to this. How can we help, right? And this includes senators who publicly have said, I think we should ban porn. In private, what they say is, you're a legal business. You know, my moral issues aside, you should have access to banking.
0: It would, be, it would be more of a quality of financial, something against financial discrimination and a quality of financial access, right?
1: Well, there is, you know, there are a number of bills, both at the state level and in Congress, that have been put forward by the Republicans, which basically argue for banking fairness. You know, there are some differences between them. But what they basically say is banks should be making judgments based on actual specific credit worthiness right whether or not are you a high-risk business or not specifically you not your industry not your your thing or you know or ultimately that banks shouldn't be making choices about legal businesses And I think that they're in part reacting to, you know, there have been a lot of banking account closures on the right over fossil fuels and oil and gas, you know, uh, over gun manufacturers and and distributors and political pressure to shut those down. And then also for people who are selling, frankly, Nazi merchandise. Right. Or or like they, they, there's stuff where they banks say, well, I don't want to process this. And I think that there is an element of the right that says, OK, well, that's a legal business. You may not like it, but the bank shouldn't be the censor. So I think there are lots of different communities that are being hit by this. And I think that what happens when we go to Congress is that they say, oh, could you help sort of maybe bridge the gap? So I think that there is possibility there. I think that what we're trying to figure out is this issue, the, the, the financial discrimination has a lot of different parents, right? It's not just the banks are wary of working with us because of social stigma. There are also regulations around anti-trafficking that catch a lot of our businesses in it, even though we're a legal business and not doing anything that's related to trafficking. And so I think we're trying to figure out those things. I think that the success will be a lot of different things, You know, and it may be regulators saying to the banks, hey, listen, you don't have to worry about OnlyFans. We're not going to penalize you if you don't investigate every transaction from OnlyFans, as as some banks are doing. I think that some of this is just the laws are so vague, the banks don't know what to follow. And so they over censor the same way that the platforms do. Right. It's easier to knock people off than to risk getting dinged by the federal government or dinged by regulars. I think that we're going to start to see progress. I think that, you know, we've been really active in also talking to different financial tools. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who are looking to figure out how to make it work for this community. One of the things that's a huge benefit to us is that there are millions of us now. Right. It's no longer 2000 performers in the valley and, you know, 100 or so companies globally. Right. There are millions of creators who are working on these platforms who are making money. And I think that they start to see, okay, you know, it's been a little bit more normalized, which, again, is what the aunties hate. I think something where we can sort of make progress. So I think that we're going to come at this from a lot of different solutions. But I think that you're going to see some payoffs quite soon.
0: Yeah, and if you look at all the creators, all the cam girls and guys, they all have votes. And those people do vote. So it's really important to note that if you want to appeal to voters, you better make their lives e- easier. Another thing that comes to mind is that maybe if a bill like this passes, processing rates could come down in adult. Yes, Absolutely it. I mean, this is this is one of the
1: things that we talk about with the legislators. It's one of the things we talk about with our members, right? And again, in terms of that sense of this is an investment. This is something that can bring down the
0: cost for your business. We're not asking for a handout. Yeah, like 15% to 5%, maybe when we're talking third party. Um, and I think that that companies are starting
1: to see that now. Um, I think that we're we're getting a lot more of a response to say, oh, okay, like. This is a big deal.
0: Good. One of the things FSC did as I mentioned just before was bring a report on financial and banking discrimination and it was one of the first to really detail the scope of its effect on adult. How did that come about? So that
1: came about in early to oh, was it 2023 2022 through a partnership with Sex Work CEO I was working at the time, you know, I worked with FSC, and then I also worked with uh, other adult companies on various strategy. And um, I was working with Melrose Michaels of of SexWorks CEO. I've always been a data guy. I've, you know, worked with different companies. I've often run surveys to help them better understand their users, help them understand their fans and, and how people are reacting. And sometimes it's so that they can get press, right? Because they've got insights that other people don't. And sometimes it's to help them understand their product and who they're appealing to. And so I've been working with Melrose and Melrose is is pretty fantastic in that she does just a ton of education for adult creators, right? This is a huge market and... We had done a state of the creator report in 2022, where we had run a survey of over 200 adult creators, you know, ask them age, demographics, where do you live? How much money are you making? What platforms are you on? Because there's, you know, when you go into this space, it's like you're Magellan, right? There's no mapping of it, right? Nobody has any idea. An individual platform might know who's on their platform. They're not going to know who is on anybody else's. They don't necessarily know what percentage of their income is responsible for that person's uh success. It's just we're all sort of flying blind in this in this sort of new market. So we had mapped this out and it was tremendously successful. You know, it got a lot of attention from creators who were one, just interested to know where they fell, right? Like where am I on this? Oh, there's other people like me. Oh, this is how many people are selling BDSM content. This, you know, the, all this sort of stuff. Oh, this is how many people are, are doing in-person work. Just to get a sense of like what this world is, because you don't exist in the modern world without numbers, right? You don't know the community, the, the contours of the community aren't defined. So we had done this. It had been very successful in terms of creators. It had also gotten on NPR. It was you know, featured on Marketplace and had some other good press. And so we said, you know, listen, this is maybe something that we should look into. I'd love to sort of work with you on some more projects. And so we talked about building sort of more of an, uh, a market research firm for adults. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so this was this was something we thought. You know, this is good sort of work. This is good sort of work. You know, at that same time as we we're having these conversations, I had been in these meetings in Congress, and people had said, "Well, you know, what is the size of this issue? You know, what are the numbers on this? You know, how many people are being discriminated against?" And what we were left saying was a lot. You know, everybody, some way or another. You know, even like, but but not having that number, given that I had been doing this for years on an, an individual company basis. And I just sort of run this thing with Melrose and we'd sort of built out this framework for doing it again. I said, let's do it for FSC. So we did um, you know, the company, which is now sort of SWR data, partnered with FSC and just sort of did a, a survey pro bono and, and built the survey, ran the survey, analyzed the numbers and, and put together a report. And that turned out to be tremendously powerful. Yeah, I, I fold it up. Yeah right? Because you want to, you want your voice heard. And it helps us also see who's being most affected, right? Because they want us separated. They don't want us putting the pieces together because then it allows us to figure out who's actually doing the discrimination and how are they doing it. They want us to be atomized. And so We ran it, you know, it it then sort of ended up in the Boston Globe and the the New York Times and, and Wired and, you know, a number of other places, right? We had like, I think that the Miami Herald, Yahoo News, right? They all sort of picked up on it as well. Like, oh, this is data. And I've seen this in the fight for years with the anti-porn people is they will take a piece of data. It doesn't matter how unreliable it is. That's what they throw out. And that's what goes in the headline. And I was like, we can do better. We need to start mapping this out. When people start seeing that 51% of the people in the adult industry have lost their PayPal account, that's a huge number. Right. It, it's no longer just like, well, that person must have been doing something wrong or they're just a porn star. Like, why do they mar- when well, you start looking and you're like, OK, well, this is what percentage is happening to this. These are the other issues they're experiencing. They're excusing housing discrimination. They're experiencing employment discrimination. It starts making this real. And so there have been a number of times with Allison over the course of the, the past few years where I've sort of invoked Pinocchio and, and sort of been like, I'm, we're a real boy now. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got no strengths. Like, I, we can do this. We're walking into these meetings. We have the information. We know more about this than anybody else on the planet. I think that data is a huge part of this because otherwise you're just asking people to trust us, right? A journalist, they have time to talk to a few performers, about their experience, you know, and, and when they write a story and they say this is happening to some people, but we don't know how many is not very convincing. But being able to say, yes, 60 percent of people in this industry have lost a bank or financial tool, 40 percent in the past year. People start saying, oh,
0: that's huge. I, that would be terrible. How do people survive? I've lost more than one and I, I don't even do porn. All I do is broker websites. Yeah, this is exactly it.
1: FSC can't get bank accounts. You know, we've been struggling to get a a savings account. Being able to quantify that, being able to identify who is doing it the most and helping to avoid them, trying to identify like why they're doing it or what types of people they're targeting. That's all stuff that you can only do if there's data. I mean, it's it's a difference between like doing science and learning how to, you know, cure a disease and old wives tales about like eating wheat Like it, it just it's just not comparable in terms of the effects. So that has been a real initiative both for FSC and then separately for me and Melrose.
0: By the way, has there been any thought about FSC opening up like a credit union or something? You know, that's certainly something that we
1: talk about. There are risks that come with that in terms of there's still the bad regulation i talked to somebody a couple of months back who was starting a credit union for marginalized people right and, and was sort of saying hey listen i think that we might be able to help in this but i have to tell you that we're going to face some of the same pressures even understanding that this is your illegal business and that we're doing this we're still going to have to deal with some of the overregulation. regulation we have to do all of this reporting right Banks don't want too many people of a certain type, right? A a high risk type in it because it makes them look suspicious.
0: Yeah, but you know what banks really don't want? They don't want to know. If you're an adult, they look the other way. They want your money, but they don't want to know you're an adult. That's why so many companies have very vanilla corporate names. Nobody really, or nobody who really thinks about it, I'll put it that way, and to be nice. Nobody really thinks about it says what they do. What do you do? We do entertainment or we do internet consulting. I mean, there's so many different things you can call it. I've seen many conversations on X biz where we've discussed it. and the bottom line is, in today's world, do not tell them what you do. Should you be able to absolutely. But if you want to look at reality the way things are today. Don't tell people what you do. Yeah. I mean, as long as you don't lie, right? You don't want to get into sort of bank fraud, right? That that
1: causes its own issues. But to say, you know, I do affiliate marketing, you know, I do media consulting, I do this. Like, those are all things that are actually true.
0: Nobody's going to send you a wire that comes from xxxporn.com. <laughs> well, occasionally they do. And that's when your bank account gets closed. You yeah, know, that's, like, yeah. That's, that's I know. I know. I was check. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that
1: we've had, you know, situations where a former industry member, someone who's been out of the industry for 10 years suddenly gets a residuals check or, you know, a check from a, a cam company that they worked for, you know, some random payment that comes out. They're in a whole new business. They're a realtor. Now they haven't been in the industry for 10 years. They get the check. The bank recognizes the name and shuts it down. So I think that even with those big companies Phoenix International, right? That's something that is a flag for a lot of banks. They know this.
0: Time to change the
1: company name. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's a, a time-tested strategy in our
0: industry as well. Absolutely. So what other data are you looking at collecting? So I think that, you know, for FSC, I think that
1: we need a better sense of where the issues lie in particular with banking, Right looking at the qualitative experiences as well, right? We've done a lot of quantitative, being able to get in there and understand what was the actual process like? What letter did you get? What did they say? What did they not say? So we can start putting those pieces together. I think that for an industry beyond that, we need to look at who are the people using our platform? What do they want, right? We've got this situation where there are millions of creators and every platform is looking to attract them. They want them on. And and I work with a lot of these platforms, so I know these sort of issues that come up. A lot of people are just creating products without understanding how they're actually going to, to play out in terms of is this a valuable tool that's going to bring over a creator, right? We know that a lot of people are unhappy with OnlyFans. But that's where their market is, right? So they're not going to leave that. When we look at, you know, whether it's, I think, on a broader sense, we want to know where are people being discriminated against? Where are your content restrictions happening? What has your experience been on Twitter? What has your experience been on Instagram? Being able to, again, quantify the types of discrimination that our industry faces and the creators face and the adult businesses face is really crucial to being able to solve it, right? To identify where it's coming from, to be able to articulate it in a way where the press and the public and and regulators take it seriously. And I think that exploitation happens in the dark and so does censorship. And I think that whether you're talking about someone who's been kicked off of an adult platform for doing some sort of fetish content, or whether you 're talking about someone who was shadow banned on twitter it 's valuable to know what 's happening if you don 't know what 's happening, if you don 't know how many other people this is happening to or why you can 't effectively fight back and I think both as in a, a political industry and as a just a financial a regular sort of business part of our industry, we need more data it 's always shocking to me. How many decisions are made on the flimsiest amount of somebody told me this was a good place to, to put money?
0: Yeah, but one thing you have to remember, okay, is that so many people in the adult industry don't think they're in business. They think they're in porn yeah. <laughs> and they act that way. Ask any adult industry attorney and they'll tell you all kinds of stories about that. And if you go to any legal seminars, which I'm sure you're at most of them at these shows, If you ask Corey, if you ask Larry, if you ask Michael, if you ask uh, Nick, if you ask any of the attorneys, they're going to tell you that same thing that you got to treat this like a business. Yeah. What
1: people have gotten used to in the past 15 years is that you didn't have to treat it like a business, that you would buy a bunch of traffic from someone. It didn't pan out. You'd just get some other traffic from somewhere else, right? Money was coming in. It was almost like walking around with a dowser and trying to find out where the, the, the well was, that you could sort of stumble upon it. We're in a different environment now. One, because it's a hostile environment. It's not as easy to run a business. And then two, because you know, you're looking for creators. The creators are the ones that drive the fans. Right, So if you're a platform, you need to know how to attract creators. And as an industry, we need to know how to protect creators. And we need to understand what creators are experiencing. So both from a platform perspective of, I want to bring these people on, and both from an industry perspective of, I need to understand what's happening with them. We need that data. And so that's that's
0: the the idea that we don't- That's sexist, Mike.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just using the Pinocchio. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm just giving giving you a bad time that idea that like yeah it's it's time to grow up it's time to become adults and you know plenty of people are going to continue to to not be in business they're going to be in porn and then they're going to be out of business right i think that like this is the people who succeed in the long term the people who really succeed you know are paying attention whether we're talking about legislative fights or whether we're talking about business fights the
0: the person who has the data the real data is the one that's going to win yeah absolutely No two ways about it. So for those who are not currently involved in this fight, what's the best way for them to get involved? How can individual companies or creators help? The first
1: thing that I tell people that they should join FSC, but really what I want to know from them is what's happening with them. I want to know sort of what their problems are and what their experiences are. When I talk to people who are not Members, especially, I look at it as if I were talking to myself in their position, right? What are your problems? You know, is this something that we can help with? What are you facing? What are you dealing with in terms of processing fees? What are you dealing with with banking instability? How are you dealing with age verification? What does your, your corporate counsel say? You know, FSC, obviously, the better funded we are, the more we can take these on. You know, Allison and I are, are already sort of splitting up states that we're going to go to next year to testify at the legislators to stop these laws. We need people to contribute to FSC and join FSC because that helps fund that. The reason that we didn't file in Louisiana is because we're overstretched, right? We just didn't have the resources. If we had been a real organization, if we had been a real industry, we would have been at those hearings in June of last year. We would have been laying out these arguments. We would have been there and stopping that bill. But because we are chronically been underfunded, that means that we have to choose what battles we can fight. And I think that the best defense is a good offense, not to, to overuse a, a trope, but like, let's get out there and, and fight. So yes, join FSC. But m- more than that from a personal level, because I'm not the membership director and I'm re- remarkably bad at asking for money, is that be in contact with us. Like, like, let's have that conversation. I would much rather we do something for you and prove our worth and have you join, then have you join and be like, what have you done for me? But you have. You guys have proven your worth, okay?
0: You've proven your worth.
1: But that's my approach, is that I want to hear from people. I also want you to be educated. So when people don't know, you know, I don't know about this issue. What is pornography addiction? What is the story with age verification? I am constantly educating people because the more people that we know that know about this, the more voices we have, right? We want to amplify things. We want to fuel a a movement, not to have something to be, if we're trying to do it top down we're trying to do everything ourselves, we're never going to have the resources, no matter how much money, you know, or members we have. But if we have a million people who know about this, that's really an army.
0: Yeah. And that's why we call it FSC Army. And that's the Twitter handle. And I'm really good at asking for money and asking for people to come and look at things. So come to freespeechcoalition.com, get on the mailing list, and get all of Mike's wonderful communications and newsletters, which talk about what FSC is doing today. It's very interesting. I promise you, you're not going to be bored. You're going to be fascinated. And FSC is doing a lot and I hope everyone at least becomes a member, if not a sponsor. And by the way, Elon, if you're listening, the subject we just talked about, even if it isn't a billion dollars, feel free to send it. We won't tell anybody. (laughs) Mike, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk once again. And I know we'll have a chance to do this again, probably shortly as we talk about more victories. Yeah, I would, I would love to come up and do an update. I'll
1: keep it a little bit tighter next time. But yeah, I, I think that we always want to let people know what we're doing and, and again, how they can help.
0: Thank you very much. My broker tip today is part one on how to buy a site. The first question to ask yourself is what kind of site would you like to buy? Would you like a tube site, a cam site, a dating site, a membership site, a social media site or something else? If you want to buy a membership site, what type of site do you want and in what niche? There are literally hundreds of niches and many sub-niches. For instance, let's say you want to buy a gay site. Under gay, there's bears or mature, bareback, Asian, Latino, amateur, bi, black, euro, and fetish, along with many fetishes under that classification. Plus, there's hardcore, jocks, porn stars, solo, Trans, twinks, and uniforms. Straight has even more sub-niches. I can't tell you how many people contact me and just say, I want to buy a site or I want to buy a pay site. I need more information than that. How you make this decision should be based on these factors. What interests you? What you enjoy should definitely play a part in what you buy. If you like men and want to make money on a straight site, that's probably a really bad idea. Same thing if you're straight and want to buy a gay site. So what you like plays a part. What's your budget? This is something you need to establish at the very beginning. Not only do you need to know what it is you're working with, but some classifications of sites are more expensive than others. For instance, if you want a cam site with any traffic or revenue at all, you're gonna need a lot of money. In fact, to buy any established and successful site will be somewhat expensive. If you buy a site that's pretty much just a platform without traffic or sales, you're going to need a huge investment to build it up. In that case, it might actually be as good or better just to start your own site. That way you get exactly what it is you're looking for. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week, we'll be speaking with Bill Schwab of Monogamish. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I would once again like to thank my guest, Mikes to Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.